What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app and total beverage both in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez. Of course, with me, as always, Arif Dean to break down some avalanche hockey and Patrick Stedman making us sound pretty. Make sure to shout him out whenever you get a chance. He loves those shout-outs. But Arif, how you doing? I know you're out of town. I had to go to that Nashville game all alone. It was lonely without you, but you're visiting family back home. How are things? Things are great. Watching that Nashville game was probably one of the most exhausting things I've ever had to do, and I actually fell asleep uh, halfway through the third period, shortly after the Gabe Landeskog fight, because number one, I'm in the Eastern time zone, so it was a 9 p.m. start for me, which used to be the norm, and I, I can't believe how much I've gotten used to 7 p.m. starts where like if the avalanche have an 8 o'clock start, I'm like, God, this is so late. <laughs> and I grew up my entire life watching 9 p.m. East Coast starts for the Avs. Secondly, I had just gotten home from Ann Arbor, Michigan. My vocal cords are still shot right now watching Michigan, or let me change that, Jim Harbaugh beat Ohio State. Something I never thought I'd ever say. If you're anything, if you're any kind of a college football fan, you should probably know the gravity of that game. Uh, Michigan hasn't beaten Ohio State since I was 18 years old and a junior in my journalism program many moons ago in 2011. Jim Harbaugh wasn't around. Denard Robinson, who that's a name I haven't heard in a while, was the QB at Michigan. But it was absolutely the coolest experience. It was like 25 degrees. It was freezing. There was a little bit of snowfall, some wind. I was not dressed accordingly because all my warm gear is in Denver. Michigan somehow pulled it off. We beat Ohio State. We stormed the field. Uh, We were celebrating with the players. 110,000 people on the field. I'm praying to God I don't go home with COVID. (laughs) I haven't been to any sporting event as a fan in about two and a half years because I've just been covering these Avs games. So that was really cool. And yeah, it took me three and a half hours to get back out of Ann Arbor because of the traffic of 110,000 people, obviously. Got home, put on the avalanche game, and I'm watching the high-flying avalanche skate, and my brain says, what am I watching? I'm all adrenaline rushed out. That football game was more than anything I'd ever thought I could handle in one day. So I fell asleep shortly after Landeskog beat the daylights out of Ekholm. And woke up and saw that I think Tyson Jost added a sixth goal. So here we are in Detroit and I'm, you know, just 24 hours away from heading to Toronto for Wednesday's game. So it has been a week. Yeah, I'm sure to nobody's surprise, I'm not a big college football guy, so I don't really care about anything you just said. It it doesn't help that when my tenure at CU happened to be the same five years, yes, I said five years, as the Dan Hawkins (laughs) era. And the Dan Hawkins era was hands down the worst era in football at CU, so I kind of fell out of love with it. But of course, I'm a hockey guy, so I love talking hockey, but I'm with you, Arif. I was half asleep in the press box in the arena during that game. Shout out to the crowd at that Nashville game, for once, I really felt that they were engaged, brought the energy, and were just present from the very get-go. But again, the game was getting boring for me. I was even thinking like, man, if it's going to be another blowout, I might just head out of the building early. But then the Landeskog fight happened. So we'll get back into that uh, a little bit later. But of course, you're up in Detroit because we're sending you to Canada later this week. We'll tease that as well and get into that later on in the podcast. Let's start with wrapping up the month of November for the Avalanche. I mean, strong numbers, great month. Obviously, that win streak really helped. But a 7-2-1 record in the month of November. You got to love what what I guess the corner that the Avalanche have turned recently. They've been great, man, and there's been a lot of reasons why. Uh, As Gabe Landeskog said, the morning skate before the game against Anaheim, when we asked him why everything's been going so well, he said, or I think it was about the power play, why the power play's been clicking, he said, we got rid of that deadweight Nathan, which obviously he was joking, but (laughs) ever since McKinnon went out, everybody else has been pulling their ropes. Ever since Devon Taves came out, the defense has found its stride, even though they lost Bowen Byram. Uh, Kale McCarr has been able to play his offensive game. He's got that confidence back. Devon Taves is killing it offensively, which is something that, you know, we knew he had it in him, but not to this extent. He knows how to rush. He knows how to jump into the plays at an opportune time because he's usually the guy that stays back when Kale does it. 
obviously Val Nichushkin coming back solidified that second line. And it seems like anybody you put with Ranton and Landeskog turns to gold. It was Nathan. Obviously, he's only got one goal, but he had a lot of assists. He's got nine assists. Then you put JT Comfer up there. He kept scoring. Then you put Logan O'Connor up there, and he hasn't put up a lot of points. But he's done his job. He's done what he needs to do to let Landeskog and Ranton and continue to do their things. We obviously saw Ranton score a hat trick. We see Landeskog putting up one or two or three points pretty much every single night. Everything has come together. Darcy Kemper had a bit of a hot stretch. As soon as Darcy Kemper started to struggle, we learned pretty quickly. And this is a conversation I'm going to get further into in a little bit that you can finally trust Jonas Johansson and he's earned it. So we see Jonas Johansson starting to get more minutes and he's doing well. We see now Pavel Francouz is starting to get healthy and he's going to get more minutes. So everything just seems to be coming together and it's coming from everywhere. Jared Bednar's doing great coaching. The special teams, the power play has been excellent. The PK was excellent and then took a little bit of a dip, but they still kept winning games except for one. Everything in November just worked well. I love that. It's kind of like you just went through our whole podcast and gave everybody our topics, but it's like an essay, right? You're going to present our little thesis. This is what we're going to be talking about throughout the podcast. So I like and that. Here's what we got. Yeah, here's, here's what, we, what got. we got. Every little point. Let's start with that Miko hat trick uh, against Nashville. I think that's, you know, lately we've been liking to talk about what you've done for me lately. So I think that's obviously the most notable thing that's happened most recently is the Miko Rantanen hat trick. So of course he um, close it out early in the third period, but he scored the first two goals of that game. So right when he scored those two goals, I, I didn't want to jinx it on Twitter or anything, but I'm thinking, man, to score two goals that early, you're setting yourself up pretty nicely for a hat trick. So for him to be able to uh, knock that out and, and let the hat trick come to fruition and not even have to do it with an empty net goal, love it. Yeah, absolutely. And and Miko Rainen had a bit of a slow start to the season, uh, which is funny to say to, for somebody that had points in each of the first five games. But through seven games, he had three goals and two assists. That's not Miko Ranton in numbers. Then he obviously put up quite a few points against Vancouver. In the two games he played Vancouver, he had three goals and three assists. Uh, he had nothing against San Jose, was starting to get some points. And then he explodes for four against Nashville, which was big. Three goals, one assist. Suddenly, Miko Ranton, you know, that slow start to the season that his numbers look a little shaky kind of guy. In 15 games, he has 10 goals and 18 points, and most importantly, a plus nine rating because we saw what all the guys plus minus was early on in the season, especially after that Washington game where all the top guys were minus five. So Miko's picked it up really, really well. That hat trick was the third of his career, um, and it was great to see him do that because he's been playing center. He's been kind of sacrificing a little bit of his offensive game to take over a position with more uh, responsibilities, both uh, both defensively and offensively. And it finally paid off. That might be the last time he has to play that position for quite a while. But the Avalanche, knowing that they can use him in that spot when needed, is great to know. And it's great to know that Miko in that spot can put up pretty decent numbers and score a hat trick against a team that has been surprisingly well. Yeah, he's playing with confidence right now. I think that's one thing that you're really noticing the difference from earlier on in the season to now. I really think he's something switched in him and he's feeling good about himself. Now, of course, the two goals that came early in the game were both power play goals. So that helps to have to be at a man advantage, but um, for him to be taken care of business the way he is on the power play is, is delightful. And um, the first goal was basically a no look pass, right? Or a no look shot cheeky. He tipped it in, wasn't really looking at where David Riddick was. I asked him post game, Hey, were you aware that Riddick was kind of slow to get across the crease there? He was like, not really. That's just a move. I try every once in a while. It's something that I don't try to whip out too much because goalies catch on, but every once in a while you can catch one off guard. And that's kind of what he did. So that's just awareness of of knowing where the goalie should technically be and and also understanding what holes there might be there. So, uh, yeah, confidence comes with awareness, and you're even seeing him try to whip out some moves, kind of like we saw Nazem Kadri the other day after his two-goal game. He suddenly got a little bit more confident with his hands is trying to walk people. Saw the same thing out of Miko Rantanen. So um, the, the confidence is on an upward trajectory for him, and, and nothing can be better for Miko Rantanen than being a confident player. Being confident and being happy. We saw Miko Rantanen lose a little bit of that happiness late last season, early this season. He's back to being that guy, and we're not in the locker room to see it, but I can already see him sitting in a stall in that corner with Gabe, just having a ball before every game, after every game. That's the Miko Rantanen you want. He's 25 years old. He's been a hell of a scorer for four years now, and uh, he always does his best when he's enjoying playing the game of hockey. 
and he is right now. As as silly as that sounds, that's one of those intangibles that you just can't measure that Miko Rantanen indefinitely, you know, it matters for him. Yeah, I think one thing that really made him happy from that night is seeing his friend and captain stand up for him the way he did, right? Um, I'm not sure if you got the chance to see, but of course I'm referring to the Landeskog uh, I guess, quote unquote, fight with Matthias Ekholm. But I saw a couple different replays and there's one angle that I didn't see until the next morning. And that was from the opposite side of the ice. Miko Rantanen, once the fight's all over and, and Ekholm's bloodied up, Miko Rantanen looks him right in the eye and says, "Woo!" and was just so fired <laughs> up and getting in his face that Landis Gog just pumped him. So let's get into the Landis Gog, again, quote unquote, fight since Matthias Ekholm never dropped his gloves. So for starters, and I had to double check this because I thought this was what was happening when I was watching the game half asleep after the Michigan game. Landis got, got a five minute major for fighting, but the guy he fought did not. I've never seen that before. I've never seen one guy get a five minute major and the other guy not. I've like they're supposed to come together. Usually what you see if the other guy didn't drop his gloves is you give Landis got four minutes double minor kind of thing. Um, but obviously, you know, this works out better because the five minutes don't put the avalanche on the PK like a four minute, you know, double minor for for roughing would. But it was a very strange play. But here's here's the here's the deciding factor here is the way he pulled the helmet off of Miko Rantanen's head is I th- to me, that's what did it. But again, I was half asleep watching that game. I was kind of drained on energy. But the way he pulled that helmet off of Miko Rantanen's head pulling it from the side, pretty much tugging on Rantanen's head, tugging on his neck, and then getting it up and over, probably scraping by his ear and the side of his head. And I don't know if you know this, but ice is cold. So they're cold. And imagine your cold <laughs> ear having a helmet just like crushed up against it as it's going over your head. And then he tosses it. And you cannot do that and not expect somebody to come in and fight you. So I understand it. I understand the point of why Landis God did it. By the way, I know we've said this before, but I am so amazingly excited to see Landis God go back to the style of game that he's been playing the last six months. The bullying Gabe Landis God that we hadn't seen in three or four years. It seems like since he got married, he kind of toned it down. And now he's like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and be the guy that I was when I was 21, 22. And having him being that guy is awesome because... Landeskog's not there to make friends with the opposition, certainly not with a guy, even though he's going to be playing with him in a few months on the Olympic team, a guy that's going to tug the helmet off of his line mate like that. So Ekholm should have been ready for that fight is the way that I see it. I don't condone Landeskog pretty much almost slamming him to the ice. Thankfully, Ekholm didn't get hurt, didn't hit his head on anything, maybe against the boards. But you have to expect somebody to jump in when that happens. And this face that Ekholm had when he came up where there was that gash and like four streams of blood just going down his face pretty much epitomizes that entire play. You cannot touch one of the best players on the avalanche. You cannot tug his helmet off and toss it, which is another sign of disrespect that NHL players don't take lightly without expecting somebody to jump in. You need to get cocked and loaded. You need to know it's coming. And for whatever reason, he decided to not and he paid for it. I mean, it was just so weird to see you know, I, I get it. You don't want to drop the gloves and suddenly put your team who's already down at a loss or even an even strength penalty, right? Um, so he he kind of had that awareness about him. But when you take a couple punches to the face, usually you see somebody drop the gloves and say, I'm not putting up with this. But he yeah. kept them on and, and just kept taking the punches. So that it was that, that just that just struck me as the weirdest part. It was so strange. The entire thing was strange. But I mean, we've seen We've seen Nazem Kadri throw hits that have caused him to get suspended. We've seen Gabe Landeskog himself throw a hit earlier this season that has caused him to get suspended. Both times, when they hit it right away in their brain, they're like, I'm going to need to answer for this. They turn around and they're ready to go, protecting themselves. That's the thing you're supposed to do as mm-hmm. a hockey player. You cannot do that to Miko Rantanen and not expect somebody to come in and answer the bell or for you to have to answer the bell to somebody to come in and protect Miko for what you just did. So... It was just really strange. The fact that he didn't throw punches was really strange. Maybe he thought him not taking off his gloves would help him on the penalties, which it did in a way, but not in the way that he was expecting. I mean, getting a two-minute power play after that and Landis got getting a 2-5-10, and 10, so be it. No suspensions, no supplemental discipline, five-minute major for fighting. Who cares? At that point, the game was won. Mm-hmm. So Gabe sent and the message. And that's the biggest part. Exactly. Gabe sent the message. The crowd was fired up. He was gone for 17 minutes. They only got a two-minute PP out of it. I think they scored on it, or did they score shortly after it? 
regardless, the game was no, they already killed it. Yeah. They killed it. Yeah. Regardless, the game was already won by then. And then, uh, you know, obviously, I think Nashville added one more goal right before or right after that. In true Matt Duchesne fashion, always scores when the goals don't matter. His team was down 5 1. So, um, yeah, just everything about that was awesome. And Gabe Landeskog obviously has the wherewithal and the, and the IQ to know, like, hey, we're up 5 to 1. I'm about to do something that's going to put me in the box for a while, and it doesn't matter. We're off for the next four days. We're beating this team. We're good. Right. And you know, he's not deaf to all of us who in the past couple seasons have thrown stones at the toughness of this team, right? And he, he, as the captain, he takes that personally. So he wants to come and be the one to kind of change that if the situation calls for it. And that's exactly what happened there. I, I think my most impressive part was, yeah, he was in the box forever, it seemed like, but he was still so engaged, right? Tyson Joe scores that goal. He gets up and celebrates. He's banging on the glass. He's still very much the captain, even from the penalty yeah. box. So um, I loved that. But yeah, good thing that it was already... You know, the score was what it was at that point. Yeah. And you mentioned this to me when we were at the game against Anaheim on Wednesday before my trip for Thanksgiving, where you said when you're watching on TV, you always get a different view because you watch the Ottawa game from home. So watching the Nashville game from home gave me a different view. And one of the things that I got a different view of that you probably didn't get in the press box was after all of that happened, they cut two of the face of Curtis McDermott on the bench. And he's leaned over the bench with his elbows on it, standing up, and he's just laughing. He's having a good time. Gabe Landeskog just killed this guy. He's bloodied. And Curtis McDermott's just like, ha, 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 ha. Like, he was, he was like, this is what I live for. And it's everything about it, man. Like, just the players love that guy in the locker room. And and uh, and and Curtis McDermott brings something that this team doesn't have. Do I want him playing every single night? No. Do I want him playing most nights? Absolutely not. But when he's in, man, he's entertaining. And that's that's my favorite part about it. Yeah, it's got to be tough for him, too, to get limited minutes and then something like that arises and he's just trapped on the bench, right? This isn't the 80s. This isn't the 70s where you can hop the boards and suddenly start a line brawl. He, I'm sure he's just chomping at the bit when something like that happens, because especially when it's your top line, right? It's your top line. He wants to protect. Yeah, he's guys. licking his chops. He's licking his chops thinking, man, I want to go out there and I want to be on the ice with these top guys. And then he looks at the top guys and it's Gabe Landeskog, who doesn't shy away from anything. Logan O'Connor is a little pesky guy. And Miko Rantanen, who's six foot five and has the lower body that Yarmur Yager has had for the last 30 years, where it's like, yeah, well, even he can take care of himself. So it's like, who are you going to help? Like the, the, the Nashville guy came out with a bloodied face. So he's sitting on the bench like, I don't even need to do my work. My work here is done. Ha ha ha. Like. He was just having a ball. It was it was a funny scene. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's keep moving on here. Bo Byram inserted back in the lineup. Not only that, from the get-go, he just looked aggressive. He looked assertive. And then, of course, ended up scoring a goal on a, a nice little pass out of the corner. He was right in front of the net, right? We talked last week about how aggressive this def defensive group is and how they like to really be uh, a part of the offensive rushes. Well, there you saw it right there um, as Bo Byram knocks one home right in front of the crease. But good to see him back. Good to see the energy and mentality that he's playing with. Like he never went down in the first place. And that's that's the hardest part with a concussion, right? Because it's so fragile. It's something you really want to be delicate with. So to jump in and just be able to keep playing the way you were is, is perfect. You love to see it. I always say that. You love to see it. <laughs> you love to see it. So let me ask you this. Bo Byram this year is obviously a heck of a lot better of a player and a bigger part of this team than he was last year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And Kel McCarr and Devon Taves have seemingly taken steps that we didn't know that they still had in them compared to last year, right? Sure. And Sam Gerrard obviously started slow, but he's kind of picked it up offensively. You're starting to see that confidence come back. You're starting to see him do that spin move, the tornado. He looks like the guy he was last year, basically, right? Absolutely. Okay. So that game against Nashville was the very first game. Maybe it happened a few times last year, but everybody wasn't as good of a player as now. That game against the Predators was the first time this year that the Avalanche have had Taves, Makar, Byram, and Gerard all in the lineup at the same time as your top four. With Eric Johnson and Ryan Murray playing a shutdown role on the third pair, and Jack Johnson, who's done nothing wrong to be healthy scratched, had to be a healthy scratch because the team has depth and they're finally all freaking healthy. Holy crap, this defense is good. Like, I did not expect the Avalanche's blue line to be this good. We expected Bo to take a step. But did we think 17, what is it now, 18 games into the season, Eric Johnson would already be out of the top four? I didn't. I thought maybe by playoff time 
that's what I was expecting. And I thought maybe it would be Ryan Murray that jumps in and they're going to continue to shelter Bo for the entire season and let him really develop into that guy that you can trust to play 20, 25 minutes. But he's already taken that next step. Devontae's has been back for nine games. He's doing everything he can defensively, which is excellent. And he's also got three goals and seven points. Uh, sorry, three goals and seven assists, so 10 points in nine games. Kale McCarr is outscoring 99% of the NHL star forwards around the league. He's got more points than the guy we're going to see on Wednesday in Mitch Marner that makes 11 million. And then Sam Gerrard has picked it up offensively. This is just a deep defensive core, and it starts with the fact that Bowen Byram has taken a much bigger leap into that next step of his career than anybody expected. And I always love when Jared Bednar talks about Bo this season. He says, training camp and development camp, he was just okay. Preseason, he was just okay. As soon as day one of the regular season happened, I'm going to steal this from you. A flip got switched. A switch got (laughs) flipped, and Bowen Byram suddenly became a different guy. A different player. And we saw how good he was against Chicago. We saw how good he was the first two weeks of the season before his injury. And he's come back and just picked up right where he left off. He's got his fourth goal of the year. He's riding high. He's got confidence. And for whatever reason, that pair with him and Gerard, where both of them combined are about the size of what you used to see in like a Scott Stevens, are just an excellent second pair on the blue line and just kind of, you know, compliments that top line of Taves and Makar. The Avalanche are so deep on the blue line, and it's because of Bo and the step he's taken this year. Yeah, I think the first alarming thing for me was seeing that Jack Johnson was scratched, and and that's when you're starting to realize, all right, this team's getting healthy, things are getting to where they want to be, and you're not necessarily having to play a guy that you don't want to play. Not that he's been bad, but you have that, I guess, luxury of the the talented guy stepping back in the lineup, which is so great to see. I was a little thrown off. I thought for sure that Jack Johnson would be ahead of the depth chart of Ryan Murray, but then we saw Ryan Murray only play 11 seconds, and then now he's out. So the rest of the game was played with five, which which resulted in us seeing some fun combinations with the remaining five defenders. But um, yeah, I'm sure we'll see Jack Johnson get right back in the lineup with Ryan Murray being out now. Yeah, and that that Johnson and Johnson pair will live for another day. But I mean, I, I I know exactly what happened. You know, my guy Jack Johnson went to Michigan, and he's a proud Wolverine, and always talks about watching their football games and their hockey games. And he said, Jared, I cannot play after watching that game on TV. I party too hard, and you know, I just <laughs> I need the day off. And I'm gonna go. You know, JT Comfer is injured, so he's got an excuse. I need an excuse. I need to sit this one out after watching that game. So so Jared, you know, obviously allowed him. I'm just kidding, but he'll be back in the lineup Wednesday. But uh, yeah, I mean, that just speaks volumes to the depth this team has. Ryan Murray, to me, didn't really have the best start to the season, but you started to notice more and more the value he brings to this team and why he makes $2 million, even though it's a one-year deal, why he makes a couple million rather than, you know, being a league men guy like Jack Johnson. So he's going to be a big part of this team, Ryan Murray. He's the kind of guy that between him, EJ, and Jack Johnson... He's the guy that as soon as the top four, any one of those guys needs a day off or is injured, which, you know, will probably happen again at some point. Someone's going to be day to day or week to week. Ryan Murray's the guy that's going to jump in before EJ or Jack. He's the guy that's going to jump into that top four and play a bigger role. And we saw him playing with Sam Gerrard a couple games ago. So, you know, hopefully he's good to go and hopefully he's back in the lineup soon. Um, But while he's gone, you got Jack. You got the depth, man. Yeah, I guess we'll wait for an update on Ryan Murray. It didn't sound too good in the post game, just because Bednar made the point of when you play for 11 seconds and then leave for the rest of the game, usually it's a pretty serious injury. So we'll hear about the timeline today. We're actually recording here Monday morning. We had to give Arif a day for his voice to heal. So <laughs> Monday morning, dads are actually practicing as we're speaking. So we'll get an update here any minute on Ryan Murray. Uh, yeah, but- and the, the only thing I've seen so far is that Ryan Murray is not obviously is obviously not participating in practice right now. Yep. Um, so here's a good place to uh, tell you guys about Total Beverage in Westminster and in Thornton. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton already, though, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they also deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself just north of Highway 36 there. And you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. So Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Just a great establishment. Big hockey fans over there in the ownership group. 
<laughs> talk to talk about them like they're an NHL organization. The front office over there, really big hockey guys. So uh, go support them and, and support our show as well. Arif, let's get into uh, the other two games that happened since we last spoke. That's a loss in Dallas. We'll start there. Um, that loss, obviously, it ended the win streak. It ended Kadri's point streak and as also ended the uh, power play streak. They had um, a handful of games that they were scoring power play goals on. All that ended in Dallas, the first night of a back-to-back. I mean, it really, they lost the game in the first 90 seconds. Yeah, so they lost the game in the first 90 seconds. It seemed like they had no jump from the start. Um, Dallas capitalized on it. Joe Pavelski, everybody's favorite or least favorite avalanche killer, kind of capitalized on that as well. So, yeah, I mean, as soon as Dallas took that 2 nothing lead, I kind of thought this is a loss. Finally, the win streak's going to come to an end. Uh, it's time to give Darcy Kemper a day off, and, and it just went from there. So, um. I mean, there's not much to say about that game. There's not. I, I I'm kind of stumbling over my words. Yeah. I watched that game. That was on Friday, Black Friday. Obviously, watched it from home. Uh, they didn't look good. They obviously pulled their goalie late, down three goals. They scored one, and that was it. I was kind of hoping Kadri would get an assist on it to keep the point streak going. But everything must come to an end at some point. Um, they didn't look good in that game. Yeah, the real only question I have for you regarding that game is: is was that a loss that you point the finger more at the avalanche or credit due to the Dallas stars for kind of playing the way they not only did that night, but kind of have been lately. They've been good, man. And and that's a team that even in the 2019, 20 year before the COVID pause, they started slow and then took off. And it seems like they're doing the same thing again. They're fi- finally starting to find their footing. Uh, Jake Ottinger has taken over the crease from the other three veterans. They have one of which obviously is injured and Ben Bishop. Uh, and that's a team that you can't take lightly because that's a team that if they get into the playoffs, we saw what happened in 2020, they can go on a run. So if you're the Avalanche, you got to keep racking up those points. You're second in the Central right now in points percentage behind only the Minnesota Wild, who've played three games more than you, but have won all three of those games that you have in hand. So you got to keep it going because teams like Dallas are going to start to breathe down your neck pretty soon if you're losing more games. Yeah, what a nice scenario they have over there. Because Jake Ottinger left the game a couple times against the Avs, and they just throw Braden Holtby right in. I mean, that's a, a beautiful luxury there. But yeah, it just kind of seems like Dallas has the recipe to beat the Avalanche. Who Hopefully it was just an off game for Colorado. But throughout the rest of the game, you kind of saw Dallas smother the Avs, both yep. on the power play and through the neutral zone. So again, hopefully it was just an off night and not just the Dallas Stars are significantly better and just a tough matchup for Colorado. Um, and yeah, we'll just leave it at that. So Colorado currently has 43 goals over their last eight games, which is 5.375 goals per game. However, 42 of those goals have come in the six wins that they had. Or sorry, the seven wins that they've had. So in the seven games that they won, they've scored at a pace of six freaking goals per game. And then the game against Dallas, they were able to shut them down and keep them to one. Every other game was four or more. They had four against Vancouver. They had five against Anaheim. They had seven against Ottawa. It's always four, five, six, or seven. And then Dallas was able to hold them to one. So that was a big thing there. Um, but yeah, they know how to smother the Avalanche. And it's just a shame because to me, you want to see the Dallas Stars lose more and more because everybody's favorite Avalanche killer, Joe Pavelski, seems like the perfect old guy without a cup to pick up at the trade deadline to really bolster that depth and take you on a run deep into the playoffs. So imagine that guy walking into an Avalanche locker room. But as soon as, but as long as the Dallas Stars continue to win, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And McCarr was able to squeak one through. Big reason that he's getting third star of the week for second week in a row. He's really the only the one able to do anything. So, yeah, just kind of, a, you know, I remember a podcast we had last year where we titled it Stinkers Happen, right? That was one of those stinkers that just pop their ugly head out every once in a while. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah, and then the fact that they rebounded the very next night with their backup goalie to score another six goals was everything you needed to know about this team. Is That winning streak was no, you know, flash in the pan. Even Nazem Kadri's point streak was no flash in the pan. It was no heater. He came back and put up two points. The Avalanche's top guys that were shut down came back and had Miko score a hat trick and everybody else pitch in. Everything just looked good there. What that Dallas game said to me is we need to start giving Darcy Kemper more rest. And what the Nashville game said to me is we need to start to trust Jonas Johansson a little more and give him more games until Pavel Francouz is ready. And even when Frankie is ready, you still want to use Johansson sporadically to kind of ease Frankie back into NHL action, assuming obviously that he clears waivers, which is the big thing. So who the hell knows? Because he's been playing pretty well and teams might take him. But um, 
right now the Avalanche, you know, they, they they look good. And the fact that they were able to bounce back from that Dallas game says a lot. Shit happens. You're going to lose a game here or there. Um, but they came back and rebounded the very next night. Well, I think let's also give some credit to the NHL scheduling department too, right? Because, I mean, Nashville was on the second night of a back-to-back where they were traveling. So that helped a little bit. And the month of November was yep. just a pretty easy month for Colorado. So I think they get an assist here too. Well, it's not just that. It's This was the first back-to-back of the season. True. So they they played a back-to-back. Now they're going to have three days off, and then they're going to play their second back-to-back consecutively coming on uh, Wednesday and Thursday against Montreal and, or sorry, against Toronto and Montreal. And uh, here's the update we have from Jared Bednar at practice. He says uh, it's looking nothing official, but it's looking like Nathan McKinnon will return Wednesday in Toronto. We saw Nathan McKinnon, Peter Ball obviously was tweeting. Obviously, he's at Family Sports out in Denver or in Centennial, whatever, that uh, – Nathan McKinnon was on that top power play unit, was Landeskog, Rantanen, Makar, and Nazem Kadri. So they're going back to that bubble playoffs top power play unit that was exceptional against the Arizona Coyotes and the Dallas Stars. Um, so it's looking more and more like McKinnon's going to be there Wednesday. And, you know, I'll, I will have an update, obviously, after morning skate Wednesday. I'll be there at Scotiabank Arena, and we'll see. And if Nathan comes back, we're going to have a pretty good team. Yeah, I mean, even though he doesn't want to make it official, it sounds like it's all but official, right? I mean, we heard it even after the game the other night in Nashville, which was all the way back in Saturday, and they said, yeah, Nathan McKinnon's shed in the non-contact jersey. We should expect him uh, on Wednesday for Toronto. So that's exciting stuff. But you're moving through the podcast without me here, Arif. I want to get to Anaheim game, and let's talk Darcy Kemper and Jonas Johansson. You touched on a lot of it, so I'm not going to throw you know any questions at you. I just want to get my two cents on Johansson because I think you're right. He is deserving of some more trust here because he's simply gotten better since he's joined this team. I remember last year when we saw him, the first couple skates, I was like, this guy is no good. We heard reports out of Buffalo that kind of matched that uh, opinion. And then as time continues, you're just seeing him do things that he wasn't doing before. And that's both in a good way and a bad way. He's gotten rid of a lot of bad habits and he's adopted some really good habits. So um, not saying that he's jumping Francis just yet. Francis is still my guy, hands mm-hmm. down. Um, but Johansson is finally a guy that I feel like I can trust. Whereas, you know, uh, uh, not all the way, not 100%, right? Because you saw the Matt Duchesne goal was very much Johansson's fault. Um, but I'm not feeling that tight butthole that I used to feel when people were coming in on him one-on-o. Always clenched, yeah. yeah. He's he's made some nice stops one-on-o and, and, and some breakaway, some two-on-one stops in these two games that he played. The Anaheim one, obviously, in relief because of that funky skate blade issue and then the game against Nashville that he started. Um, but it looks like the, the, the team has instilled more trust in him as well because here's what... The latest tweet is, and it kind of answers the question I just had. This is coming from Mike Chambers. Bednar says that the Avalanche might carry three goalies to avoid putting Jonas Johansson on waivers. Pavel Francouz is expected to go on the five-game trip. So Frankie might be ready to play during these five games, but they're not willing to put Johansson on waivers because from how good he's played recently and how much better and how much he's improved... You put him on waivers, someone's going to take him. It might be the Buffalo Sabres who are still without Craig Anderson, their starter, the team that traded Johansson, said, hey, go to the Avalanche, learn from their goalie coach, and then we'll come back and take you when you're better. <laughs> kind of so, like Hutchinson. Um, exactly, yeah, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it looks like right now the Avalanche are, not only are they doing that because they like Jonas Johansson and he's started to play well enough where they can trust him and and they, they can't trust that he's going to make it through waivers. But number two, again, you need to make sure Pavel Francouz is going to be healthy and ready to go. Because what happens if Frankie comes in, comes in, plays two or three games, gets injured again, or just doesn't look like himself, understandably so, because he hasn't played in so damn long. And then you're sitting there going, all right, we need to bring Johansson back as our backup goalie, but he's gone. And then you're back to the Hunter Miska issue. So it just looks like it's a very safe bet for the Avalanche to carry the three goalies. And it starts with the fact that Jonas Johansson has played so good that the team can't even trust that he's going to pass through waivers. So that's a pretty good thing to have. I think the Pavel Francouz thing holds more weight. I think that's more so because, I mean, yeah, you don't want to lose Johansson for nothing. But at the same time, if you were to lose Johansson for nothing, do you really have that big of a setback. I mean, it sounds like Eustace Annanen is really starting to get comfortable and make his way. So, you know, worst case scenario, you lose Johansson, you still got Annanen back there. But um, yeah, I think it's just more that you're not ready to give full reins back to Francouz in that that role. So um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm torn. I feel like, yeah, 
you can afford to lose him, but at the same time, he's made so much progress in the last few months that you, you don't want to lose your project. So I don't know. Let's just get Francis healthy. That's all I have to say. Yeah. If look, if if Jonas, sorry, if Pavel Francis gets healthy and starts to be the guy that we know he's going to be or he could be, then at that point, it's worth the risk. But until you get there, you can't risk losing Johansson. We saw what it meant to not have a third-string goalie last year with Philip Grubauer when he was overplayed because you couldn't trust Hunter Miska in that role. You couldn't trust anybody else to play those minutes. And then you had to go out and trade a fifth-round draft pick, which is still a valuable asset. It's still an asset that you don't want to have to deal with. And you had to trade him for a guy in Jonas Johansson and sort of slowly work on progressing him into the goalie that he's become now, which is, you know, not by any means the best goalie in the world, but better than we've seen in quite a while, you know, as a, uh, better than we've seen from him since he was acquired uh, over this last while, seven, eight months now. So if you're the avalanche, you, you, you're, you're gonna, I think carrying the three goalies is the way to go. I didn't really think of that because of the salary cap implications, but obviously they're going to make it work one way or another. Um, and that's a big thing. It's, it's going to be a good idea. It'll ease Pavel Francouz in without the pressure of knowing that, Hey, if you don't do well, the team is screwed because there's another guy that's going to be like, Hey, don't worry about it. I can play once every five games if you're not ready to go. So this is exciting, man. Darcy Kemper, you know, obviously he needed some rest. He's had a slug, he had a sluggish two games in terms of, uh, the game against Dallas, obviously the three goals was a little sluggish. The The end of the game against Seattle where he let in three goals was sluggish. And then obviously against Anaheim, he let in that power play goal, obviously because his skate blade came off again. So it's been a funky few games for Darcy Kemper. And I think he let in five against Ottawa too. So it's been a funky few games for Darcy Kemper, but it looks like he's, uh, you know, rest is going to do him well. Johansson's picking up his game. Frankie's coming on the trip. With all these back-to-backs coming up and playing every other night, it's really good that you're going to have three options here. Yeah, and hopefully some confidence in his gear for for once. <laughs> Something we can all use. Yeah, my 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 sources say he did go to play it against sports and bought a new pair and said, screw it. The hell with these play NHL skates that cost five, went $500. <laughs> I'm going to go get $20 <laughs> skates where the blade never comes off. Uh, that's funny stuff. Um, well, yeah, now it's time for us. Let's get into that McKinnon return. Um, I think really the most notable thing, I, I, we all know that he's coming back and how exciting it is, but what's that going to do to the lines? Because we've seen O'Connor really play every single line on this team so far this season, including the first. And, um, now he's going to have to go back down to maybe some more limited minutes. So I think that's the biggest, um, cause and effect there is the O'Connor. But what, what do the rest of the lines look like with McKinnon getting back in the lineup? So I would say what's going to happen, obviously, is McKinnon's going to slot in with Landskog and Ranton in. Kadri, Burakovsky, and Nichushkin will remain the same. What I would expect it to see, what I would have expected to see was Newhook playing at center with Abi Kubel and Logan O'Connor and then having, who am I missing? Tyson Joe slot down to the fourth line with Megna and with... Helm. Helm, thank you. But it looks like the Avalanche today practiced with Megna playing with O'Connor and Hell uh, and uh, and uh, Newhook at center. Sorry, I'm I'm mixing up my names. Megna, O'Connor, and uh, Newhook playing on the third line, and then it looks like they had Abi Kubel playing with Jostin Hell. So what that says to me is. Obviously, Megna's the placeholder. What that says to me is similar to how the second line of Kadri, Burakovsky, and Nichushkin, they didn't want to mess with it. It says to me that 16, Abi Kubel, 17, Tyson Jost, and 43, Darren Helm. Jared Bednar wants that to be his fourth line. So he's going to use Megna as a placeholder until either JT Comfer is back and healthy and ready to take it, or even Martin Kelt, who practiced in a, in a regular jersey today on uh, Monday, might slot in and play a rookie of Kelt, a rookie of Newhook, and a veteran in Logan O'Connor on the third line. So I think the Avalanche are really going to rely on 16, 17, and 43 to be their fourth line, judging by the fact that Megna was skating on that third line today. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I like your assessment. I guess I agree with it. I don't know. You know, it feels like Megna and Kubel are kind of interchangeable, so I'm curious as to what exactly has him so attracted to the um, Megna-Jost-Kubel line, Abe Kubel. Um, but I think him and Megna, you know, they they bring a very similar game, and I feel like Kubel has just 
fit into this team so well. I mean, he's physical. He puts himself in some dirty areas, and it sounds like from Jared Bednar, he's starting to really acclimate to the structure of the team. So I'm a little surprised to have him uh, playing fourth-line minutes because I do feel like he brings more to the table, but I get it while he's still acclimating, and maybe he just well, likes a matchup there with uh, some of his line mates. Again, it's the fact that when JT Comfort comes back, he's going to slot Magna right out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. So what that says to me is similar to that second line. Why mess with what we know is going to be the constant in Abi Kubel, Jost, and Helm? Because at some point, Abi Kubel is going to get pushed down for JT Comfort. You're not going to put Comfort on the fourth line with the way he's playing this year. So they're saying, you know what? Let's get Logan O'Connor and Alex Newhook acclimated to playing together because those are going to be two guys on a line that's going to have JT Comfort on it as well. And let's get that fourth line settled the way it is. Similar to what we saw with McKinnon. When McKinnon went down, instead of touching the Kadri, Berkey, and Nichushkin pair, they brought up Comfort. When Comfort went down, instead of touching the Kadri, Nichushkin, and Berkey pair again, they brought up Logan O'Connor. So it kind of says to me that they're doing the same thing. They're going to have Megna be that placeholder, maybe replaced by Cal. Either way, Cal or Megna are both going to be the placeholder for JT Comfort's return. And I like it because I think the Avalanche need to get used to and Tyson Jost needs to get used to being the fourth line center because that's where he's best suited on this team. He's not the guy that should be playing in the top nine because he doesn't have the offensive output. Neither does Obi Kubel, even though he's got two goals goals already. Um, But JT Comfort and Alex Newhook, those are two guys that you know Newhook's going to play center. Comfort's going to play the wing. But you can also use Comfort to take faceoffs whenever necessary. They can flip-flop. And the guy on the other wing is the guy we've been talking about all season as an excellent, you know, uh, redemption season for him and a big development year in Logan O'Connor. And suddenly, all those depth issues we saw this team had aren't really there anymore. And it's really interesting just when you look at it from that point of view, how much this team has excelled and grown out of that, you know, that idea of we have no depth three weeks ago to suddenly picking up a guy on waivers and getting a little bit of guys healthy suddenly changes everything. Yeah, they said, let's sign a million centers so that way we always have a center wherever we need them. (laughs) <laughs> and that's even, I mean, hey, even Darren Helm has played center before Logan O'Connor. And, you know, you, you got a lot of options. So yeah, I like I like that. It's the Team Canada approach. It's, you know, we don't have four good left wingers. We're going to play McKinnon and all these other guys at left wing and right wing. Yeah, I mean, it's such a st- structure based system, too. Right. As long as you know where you're supposed to be and you- you'll be fine. Um, You know, F1, F2, F3. They they stick to that more so than center. Center goes deep. Left wing, right wing, stay high. Um, but yeah, Nathan McKinnon back in the lineup. What do you expect to see from him? I mean, I feel like it's been long enough that he's probably itching to get back in there and itching to make some noise because we've talked about how few goals he has. And I think that affects him. Right. So I think he's probably just fuming and just, you know, there's vapor coming out of his ears and steam coming out of his nose and he's ready to get back on that ice and and produce. I expect a multi-point game out of him against Toronto. I do too, and I think Nathan McKinnon's the kind of guy that doesn't need a couple games to get reacclimated to play. He's going to come in guns blazing, similar to the way Sidney Crosby does every time he comes back from an injury. Um, he's he's ready to rock, man. This team's got 43 goals without him, and he's saying, I'm going to get in on this action. And it would be nice to see Nathan McKinnon score some more goals. He's only got one this year. He only had 20 all of last season in the regular season, obviously, in the playoffs. He's a new man and scores like crazy. But let's see Nathan McKinnon start to rack up more goals, and let's see him produce in points and really bring this team to the next level because with everything they've been doing, they've been doing it without one of the top two or three or four best players in the NHL. So they're about to be a lot better with Nate in the lineup, and it's coming at a great time because the team they're playing is also really hot. Yeah, I was hoping to pull up the odds, but of course, since it's Monday, there's not odds up for Tuesday yet, but I wanted to see what the draft, what DraftKings had Nathan McKinnon at two plus points, because I think that's something I'm going to ride going into Toronto, because I'm feeling confident about it. I think so too, and uh, I, I think he's, he's, he's going really, to really jump in and just you know produce, especially given the fact that the two guys he's going to be playing with are really hot right now, so he's just going to come in and ride their coattails a little bit mm-hmm. rather than the other way around until he's you know ready to rock and roll. I'm with it. So I'm coming for you, DraftKings. I'm coming for you. And you can cash in on some bets like that, too, if you just sign up and use our promo code. And football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you will be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with the new same-game parlays. You can combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. 
The more legs you add, the more money you win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS. That's for Mile High Sports. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets if they score, you score. With promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Moving on. Uh, I feel like we kind of touched on a lot of the uh, injuries and get an update from who's been out and who's on their way back. But let's fly through it real fast. Martin Kaut sounds like he's in a regular jersey. Um, not really sure what to read into this because on his you know, when he got injured, he wasn't exactly in the coach's favor. He's not a guy that's getting constant minutes and seeing constant playing time. He's more a guy that's been in and out of the lineup. So do you expect Kaut to jump back in and you know get some of those rolls back and some of those minutes back or do you see once he's healthy he sticks around in the press box for a few games and then we'll see him back in Loveland it just depends who's healthy and who's not at that point and how good Megna's playing because we already saw Kiefer Sherwood get bumped out of the lineup for Curtis McDermott to play a different role uh if Jason Megna's still doing fine and he's going to play that role then Cout will sit as the 13th forward until there's another guy um because I assume either Sherwood or or Cout will get sent down so it's it's going to depend on a lot of things. It's going to depend on if anybody else gets hurt. It's going to depend on you know how he does in practice and if Jared feels he earned more uh, ice time. So there's a lot of things that are going to be the determining factor there for Martin Kaut. Um, and it's going to be up to him to to prove that he gets an opportunity. So he shed his regular or he shed his non-contact jersey and he's in a regular practice jersey. And today at practice, they had him skating with Nazem Kadri because both Nichushkin and Burakovsky were on maintenance days. Now, I want to talk a little bit about maintenance days here. Yeah. Let me mention real quick, though, because this is an update that I'm going to give full blown. And this one comes from Kate Shefty. Uh, Nichushkin was sick today, but tested negative for COVID. So that's why he wasn't at practice. Burakovsky, I'm assuming, was a maintenance. Okay. Yeah. So these maintenance days... I wanted to get your take on them because to me, they seem a little bit worrisome. Of course, Bednar plays it off pretty cool. And usually a guy takes a maintenance day. He's back in the lineup the next day. Fine, easy peasy. But I think there's still something to read into these maintenance days, right? There was earlier in the season when you saw, I think it was Tyson Jost had, it was a practice that he had a maintenance day on, game that he played on, and then the next day, another practice, Sam another Gerard maintenance too. day. Yeah. So I guess what what do you think about these maintenance days? Are they simply maintenance days or is there something a little bit more to read into each one? Guys are banged up. It's, it's the reality. I mean, Miko Rantanen, maybe maybe he got banged up during the game. Maybe he went into the boards hard. Maybe his the side of his head is sore from the helmet pull. Could have caused him to have a maintenance day. Not that that happened, but I'm saying any little thing could cause a maintenance day. It doesn't necessarily mean they're hurt. It doesn't necessarily mean it's worrisome. It just means they're a little banged up. I mean, I've I've played a game of soccer or I've played a game of tennis where the next day my shins are a little sore. Or this is a little sore where it's like, hey, you know what? Today I'm not going to go to the gym. It doesn't mean I'm hurt. It doesn't mean I'm injured. I'll go to the gym tomorrow. I'm not an athlete. It's a little, it's not a little, it's a lot different, but it's, it kind of rubs me as that kind of thing. It's the same reason why we didn't record on Sunday. Cause we want to give Eric a maintenance day to get his vocal <laughs> cords back in order, even though I still sound a little scratchy right now. So it's kind of that idea where, you know, guys get banged up. You know, we saw a play where, uh, who was it? Sam Gerard went hard into the boards against, uh, not Tampa Bay, but the, the, the icing call Florida. He went hard into the boards against Florida. He didn't miss any games, but he had, he started to have some maintenance days. So he was probably sore. Is he sore enough to miss games? No, but is he sore enough where it's better? He doesn't practice because there's no reason to re-aggravate or continue the soreness. Let's give him some time to recover from on ice action. Absolutely. So, you know, that's kind of the way that I see it. Uh, and it's going to be different levels for every person. For some players, you know, we've heard players retire and talk about how they're in, like Shea Weber, for example, you know, he's he's on the verge of retiring. He might never play again. We've heard people talk about how after every practice and after every game, he's icing his body, his hips are killing, he's stretching like hell. And then he goes out and puts his body on the line for a 60 minute game where he plays 25 to 30 minutes of it. And then the next day, he has to ice his body again. He's hurting. It hurts to get to the rink. It hurts to get home from the rink. So it's different levels. That's an extreme. And then there's also the extreme on the very bottom where it's just like, yeah, he's a little banged up. Let's give him a day off. It's a long season. We're 18 games in. There's 60 plus games left, 64 to be exact. 
no reason to rush these guys into playing in every practice. I'm, I'm sure Burakovsky is going to be fine missing a practice and then showing up the next day for a game or, you know, for this case, a flight to Toronto and then a game. Arif, thank you for opinion. How about you, Alan Iverson? What do you have to say on the matter? Practice? <laughs> talking about practice? That was great. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm with that. I mean, it's just practice. You know, these guys know the structure. They know what they need to do out there. Sure, it's nice to get out there on the ice and keep your skills sharp, but is it exactly necessary? I don't think in today's game and with today's athletes. Um, let's get into the upcoming games. We've got a, a quite quite the stretch on our hands here this week. We got Toronto on Wednesday, Montreal Thursday, and then wrapping up in Canada on Saturday in Ottawa. So starting with Toronto, obviously a big game. Toronto's buzzing just like the Avalanche are. I think this is a game the entire hockey world is going to have their eyes on. I'm going to get into the Toronto game really quick, but I just want to put a bow on the final injury roundup. And this comes... Bow Byram? <laughs> bow tie. Like, Whatever. Oh, I, I want to put oh, a final okay. bow tie on the, or, or whatever you say, whatever the phrase is. Put a an Christmas end. bow? Yes. Thank you. We're going to, okay. Let's get in the spirit here. <laughs> holly jolly Christmas. We're going to, we're going to talk about the holly jolly avalanche roundup for their injuries and recovery. Here is the final roundup from Kate Shefty at the Gazette. McKinnon, good to go Wednesday as of now, which is a big thing that she puts in quotes that Bednar said. As of now, McKinnon is good to go Wednesday. Frankie is a possibility for the road trip. Nachushkin is sick but tested negative for COVID. Murray is being being evaluated. He is out indefinitely. Jared Bednar says, quote, not great. Jared, uh, JT Comfer, same timeline, not at the start of road trip. Uh, there's nothing there from Burakovsky, so that says to me it's simply just a maintenance day. It wasn't worth writing about. So that's the final piece that we need to have on the injury updates um looks like things are looking up except for ryan murray it's it's a bummer nice it's yeah it's an, that was a cool bow <laughs> it's a bummer that uh murray's gonna be out for a little bit but yeah so let's get into those games that you were talking about starting with the toronto game the maple leafs are damn good right now they are very good they have had an excellent november and i'm actually going to read through all of these games even though there's a lot of them and it's going to take a second Beat Vegas 4-0, beat Tampa 2-1, beat Boston 5-2, laid a goose egg against LA, lost 5-1. Shut out Philly 3-0, beat Calgary 2-1, beat Buffalo 5-4, shut out Nashville 3-0, beat the Rangers 2-1, got shut out by Pittsburgh, but only two goals, 2-0. Then went on to shut out the, uh, the Islanders 3-0, beat the Kings 6-2, beat the Sharks 4-1, beat the Ducks 5-1. So what I'm seeing here is they let in five goals against LA, they let in four against Buffalo, and every single other game of the month of these 15 games were 2-1 or 0. Their defense is on fire. They just went into a road trip where they went into the island, uh, they went into Long Island, played at Belmont, the new UBS arena, and shut out the Islanders, and then went through California, which is always a tough trip, and outscored the opposition 15-4, to being the LA... Uh, LA Kings, the San Jose Sharks, and the Anaheim Ducks. They are doing everything right now. They're scoring goals. They're scoring goals like the Avalanche, but they're also not surrendering their goals, which for some games, the Avalanche are. Their starting goalie, Jack Campbell, has played 18 games. He started 17, which is the same amount of games the Avalanche have had all year. He's 12-4-1. He has a 946 save percentage, a 164 goals against, and he's got three shutouts. The Maple Leafs look good. If there are two teams in the NHL that are hot as can be right now, it's the Colorado Avalanche and it's the Toronto Maple Leafs with Nazem Kadri going back there for the second time in his career. This is going to be a game, man. This is going to be the game of the NHL week. This is going to be the game of the NHL season so far, if you ask me. This is going to be a must-watch. Darcy Kemper is going to have his work cut out for him because the guy at the other end is slowly inching his way into the U.S. Team Olympics conversation while Darcy Kemper is slowly separating himself negatively from the guys that are going to make it for Team Canada. This is going to be a big game and I am so excited that I'm going to be there. I'm so excited Nathan McKinnon might be back because it's only going to add to the firepower. It's going to be a big one and I'm excited to see it. And that's what you're seeing from both teams is the firepower. The studs are carrying the avalanche right now and the studs are carrying the Maple Leafs right now. So if we can see star-on-star star action, right? Goals from both first lines. I think that'd be so exciting and just a great entertainment value. And we'll see who comes out on top. I'm confident with the Avalanche's chances, but traveling to Toronto isn't easy and playing a team like Toronto isn't going to be easy. So this is going to be a great litmus test because I feel like the schedule in November was a little bit generous to the Avs. So here's, here's a real test. 
They only play 10 games and they're going to play way more than that. Here's the crazy part about the about the schedules so far this season for the two teams. The Avalanche are 11-6 and 1. The Maple Leafs are 16-6 and 1. They've played 5 games more than the Avalanche. That is a lot. That's a big discrepancy this early in the season. Mm-hmm. That's almost a third of the Avalanche's schedule less than the Maple Leafs that they've played. Obviously, judging by the records, all five extra games that Toronto has played more than the Avalanche have been victories. So this is going to be a big chance for the Avalanche to prove that they are one of the better teams in the NHL, which we expect they will be by the end of the year. And it's going to come against one of the teams that are the best in the NHL that only lost twice or maybe three times in that month and are on a four-game winning streak where they've only surrendered four goals in four games. Yeah, and... The Avs have made some positive moves up the standings, right? And they still have ways to go. But, I mean, like you're saying, they still have games in hand. If they were to win the three games in hand that they have, they're at the top of the Central Division. So, um, you know, it's going to start here in in Canada. They got a big road trip. And with Ottawa not being as bad as we think and Montreal kind of in the middle of some transition, I think Montreal has a reason to play hard and play well, right? You see that a lot when teams either lose a coach or lose a GM. They come out and they they come out on fire because they feel bad and they want to say, well, we're not the reason that we just got somebody fired. We're we're going to straighten things out and get things uh, moving the right direction. So I think it's a tough stretch here. These three games aren't going to be easy starting with Toronto. It's going to be a hell of a fight there Then the next night in Montreal and then later in Ottawa. So a tough week ahead. The third game of a three-game road trip where you play three games in four nights and a back-to-back included in there is always the toughest. The Avalanche are fortunate that that's going to come against Ottawa. Ottawa just isn't good this year. I mean, they they have the firepower and they can surprise you at any time, but they're 4-14-1. Mm-hmm. They're 1-9 and nine in their last 10. They're on a five-game losing streak. They only have four wins. And the only team that's tied with them in wins right now is the Arizona Coyotes. Everybody else has more wins than them. So... Ottawa can surprise you at any given time. They could be strong at any given time. But the fact that it's the third game of the back of the of the three after the back to back feels a little bit better for the Avalanche because even if Ottawa comes out guns blazing, you're hoping you can get a win there. The Montreal Canadiens obviously are a little bit in shambles right now. They just fired Mark Bergevin. They fired uh, Trevor Timmins and Scott Mellenby quit on them and a whole bunch of things happened. They brought in Jeff Gorton. They're looking for a new GM. So the Montreal Canadiens are going through a seismic shift right now in their front office. So the Avalanche should be able to come away with a victory there. But it all starts with that game of the week, the game of the season so far against the Maple Leafs. If you can beat the Maple Leafs, there's a big chance you're going to go 3-0 and through Canada before you get to the Rangers and the Flyers game to f- complete the five-game road trip. Um, but again, that game against Toronto is going to set the tone because suddenly if you get blown out by the Maple Leafs like they've been doing to everybody else they play, and then you go into Montreal and you're feeling down on yourselves and you lose there too. Well, now you're 0 for 2 going against the Ottawa Senators that are like, okay, we've lost a bunch of games in a row, but we maybe we can beat this team. They're not feeling too good right now. So it all starts with Wednesday. Nathan McKinnon back in the lineup, star versus stars, uh, Campbell versus Kemper. It's going to be a lot of fun. Woo! Woo! I'm, just, I'm, I'm just, fired up. I'm there. fired up and I'm not even in Toronto yet. I'm going to be there tomorrow. Yeah, but you're right, 100%. It's going to start with that confidence that they can start to build in Toronto. If they build it appropriately, then the rest of the trip should be a breeze. But, man, that, that Toronto game is going to be so good. Can't miss. So Must good. watch TV. I, I'm excited. And it's a 7.30 Eastern time start, so a 5.30 Mountain time start for everybody in Colorado. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, let's wrap up the show and get to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. We're going to star number three. This one's going to a nameless person because I don't even know who it was, but the fan who threw Kale on the ice during the three stars after the Nashville game, that person, whether it's a woman, man, or child, they get three star, the third star of the week here from Hockey Mountain High. Shout out to you. If anybody knows who it was, tag us. Let us know. We can give them their third star personally. Yeah. We'll virtually send you a third star that is not really an object. It's just a, hey. We'll send you an emoji. Yeah, exactly. We'll send you an emoji and ask you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't And a, a Habibi of the show shirt and maybe too. Exactly. If, if you're lucky. Yeah, we'll, we'll get those made soon and you'll be our new Habibi of the show. But yeah, that is just awesome. Like it's such a strange thing, but it works. Kale McCarr skating back to grab the kale. Uh, I love it. It's a, it's a... It's a thing that might become a tradition, especially with Kel McCarr. Probably, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's going to get a lot of three stars of the game by Alan Roach at Ball Arena. So, really cool, really fun, and it brings some excitement to the to the rink. And that's that's all you can ask for. 
So much easier to sneak into a building than a dead octopus or catfish, eh? Yeah, where you got to, like, tie them. You got to, like, put them in a bag and then, like, triple layer the bag and then tie them, like, the inside of your pants, like, closer to your thighs. Just sit in there. You're like, I hope this doesn't stink. I hope it doesn't freeze my thighs. And then gets you, yeah, it's it's just, yeah, kale. You kind of put it in a rubber band and throw it in your jacket and go through the metal detectors. You're good to go. Yeah, make yourself a smoothie with the leftovers. A little kale don't hurt nobody. Star number two, we got to give it to Jonas Johansson. I mean, I just love the way he's improved his game. And, you know, we talked to him about it after that Anaheim game. And he just says he's just so much more confident than he used to be. You know, the work in practice and the attention to details has allowed him to just have some more assurance in himself. And he's playing like it. So um, still not 100% on board with him being a, a guy that gets a lot of games. But I'm fine with him stepping in when needed. More so than I used to be. Yep. And he's just a fun guy to talk to. He's such an innocent soul. He's just such a nice guy to talk to. And, uh, you know, in, in that Anaheim game, he kind of, he's been a good sport because that's two games in a row, Ottawa and Anaheim, where Darcy Kemper's Skateblade has had an issue and he's had to jump in, not knowing how long he's going to be in and not knowing how long until he comes back out again. But he's done a good job at it. And, and that's that's all you can ask for from a backup goalie who's a team player. So shout out to him for that. Shout out to him for helping the Avalanche respond in that Nashville game, shutting down everybody, obviously giving Duchesne a nice goal. Just, you know, whatever. Let Duchesne have one. That's, you know, the, the, the goals at the end of the game are what he's known for. And I keep taking shots at him. I feel bad for doing that because I'm really happy he's having a bounce back season. But... He's been well, he's been good, and and the fact that he, you know, the team doesn't even want to put him on waivers is all you need to know about how much this guy has improved lately because uh, when the Avalanche acquired him, a lot of people questioned what they had traded for him, and there was that reporter out in Buffalo for the Athletic, and I hated when he did this because it's the stupidest thing to do for a player on his way out of a team that you know is in shambles and the organization is in shambles and nothing's going right from coaching to goalie coaching to everything, and he said, it was a guy at the Athletic, and he said, this is the worst goalie I've ever seen. He doesn't stop pucks at practice. Like, if you're getting traded from the Tampa Bay Lightning, who has all their systems in check... And a reporter says that, I can be like, yeah, the entire team is great and he's not. But you can't get traded from the Buffalo Sabres of last year, which were a total gong show and a mess, and sit there and kick a guy on his way out like that is such bullshit. And I've been wanting to say this for a while, but I've been waiting for Johansson to bounce back. It's such bullshit to do that to a guy on his way out and kick him while he's down, leaving a franchise that... Nobody was like Jack Eichel had two goals in 20 something games like last year. Nobody could score. Nobody could play well. The coach didn't know what the hell he was doing. The rest of his staff didn't know what the hell they were doing. And you're going to kick a guy on his way down and say he sucks. He's the worst goalie I've ever seen. He can't even stop pucks at practice is just the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And Johansson is sticking it to him right now. So shout out to him. The Avalanche aren't going to put him on waivers because the Buffalo Sabres are going to come back and be like, please come back. We need you. And he's going to be like, screw off. So. If he was to end up back in Buffalo, I'd love to see him kind of face that reporter and be like, hey, remember me? I'm the new savior. So shout out to Johansson. He deserves it. He's earned it. He's an innocent, cool guy to talk to. And uh, he's proven that, you know, he's a part of this team. And you know, maybe he gets his name on the Stanley Cup with the Avalanche. And that would be a hell of a turn after the, you know, the, the time he had in Buffalo for the last few years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he's kind of proven us all wrong in a way. Um but yeah, star number one. You don't get a third star from the NHL and not get a star from Hockey Mountain High. He's got, going to Kale McCarr, obviously just doing great things, scoring at will almost, it seems, and just play, playing the Kale McCarr hockey that we expect of them all. It's just beautiful to watch. You love to see it, as I tend to say. I've been writing about this for a little while, but Kale McCarr's nine goals are already more than he had all of last season when he was this friggin' close to winning the Norris Trophy. And he's got it in just 16 games. He scored it in his 15th game. And he's missed two games for the Avalanche. So let me kind of give you a rundown of some of the guys he's hovering around. Artemi Panarin has one point more than Kale McCarr in four games more. Jonathan Huberdeau has exactly the same amount of points as Kale McCarr's 20, playing five games more. Some of the guys below him, Austin Matthews, Vladimir Tarasenko, Matthew Kachuk, Dylan Larkin, Mitch Marner, Chris Kreider, Miko Rantanen. Granted, Rantanen has played 15 games and has 18 points. Patrice Bergeron, Jake Getzel, Logan Couture, etc., etc., etc. 
Kale McCarr is an ex- excellent defenseman. He's got the offensive upside. Nine goals in 16 games for a guy that's career high is 12 and only had eight last year. Shout out to Kale McCarr. He's scoring seemingly at will. And he's going to rue the day in a funny way when he told Peter Baugh, the athletic, during the post-gamer where he had his first two-goal game, he said, I'm not going to score two goals every night. And then he went in the next game and scored two goals again. And then he scored one against Anaheim and was this close to getting the second one and being only the second NHL player ever to have three two-goal games in a row behind Paul Coffey back in the 80s of the Oilers. So Kel McCarr is doing it all, and I, I suspect he's going to break a hell of a lot more records. I suspect he's going to be picking up a lot more kale off the ice at Ball Arena. He's going to have a true <laughs> coming out party at the Olympics this year because I don't think a lot of the NHL really appreciates just how good he is. And they're going to see it when he plays for Team Canada and China. Well said. Well said. So to wrap that up, I guess don't forget to check out DraftKings and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Eric, your closing thoughts for the day as we head out for the week. And this is actually my final podcast for two weeks. I'm heading out on a little Christmas vacation, so I'm going to be on hiatus. Yeah, I'm going to do some podcasts on my own. I'm going to have some guests when I can get them. Uh, Nothing confirmed just yet. You guys might hear me talking to myself for 25 to 30 minutes. But I'm heading to Toronto tomorrow. I'm going to be there Wednesday for morning skate and for the game. I unfortunately cannot do Montreal. I have an obligation in Denver on that day. So I'm going to be back from Toronto to Denver within 24 hours. Um, But yeah, keep following along. Let's see the avalanche continue this tear. December is going to be busy as all hell. So shout out to JJ for ditching me at the best time. Just kidding. Enjoy (laughs) your vacation. Have a blast. And Hockey Mountain High will be ready to go when JJ's back. But while he's gone, we're still going to be recording. It'll be me and I'll have some guests when I can get them. Right on, right on. So that being said, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Let us know what you think. And as always, bless your pretty little heart for making it this far of the podcast. Hockey is for everyone. And we out you.